This podcast is not suitable for work. If you're under the age of 18, kindly and with all due respect, get the fuck out. I mean it. Go on. Bye-bye. Mm-mm. See you later. This isn't for you. Nope. Mm-mm. America has a strange relationship with sex. We're obsessed with it, but it terrifies us. We censor it because it's constantly being shoved down our throats. But our dirty little secret is we like things shoved down our throats, especially when we're in bondage or we're wearing leather or being slapped around a little bit. And, oh, God. <clears throat> I'm Sunny Megatron. Join Ken Melvoinberg and I as we explore, dissect, and demystify American sex. Life, Liberty, and the Pursuit of Happiness. American Sex with Ken Melvoin Berg and Sonny Megatron. They took ASMR stuff off from PayPal? Yeah, I, I, I'm, and I'm trying to find the article because I admittedly didn't read it, even though I retweeted it. But the headline on the tweet was like, they're now going after the ASMR people, which is like, you know, here's what we all told you would happen. The sex educators, then the burlesque dancers, the massage therapists, the ASMR people, because that could, you know, even though there's massage therapists that don't have sex with you and there's ASMR people that aren't doing it for sex, according to Sesta Fosta, of course, they can't prove what's a front for sex and what isn't. So they're penalizing all of the people in that field. Why, why don't we talk about this for the podcast? We were talking about it right now. We've started the podcast. Oh. I thought <laughs> Good morning. Good morning. So yeah, that's that's what's going on with Ava. It's the morning. Wow, I just did a good weird. Um, what's the pig? Porky pig. Uh, so yeah, it's the morning. We're half asleep. Hello, American fuckers. Wake up! It's Monday morning. It's Monday morning. Wake up. Yeah. So how are you, Ken? How have things been for listeners who haven't been listening along? First of all, shame on you. You should be regular listeners. Become them now. But those of you who have know that, uh, Ken, I forgot your name because I'm tired. <laughs> I'm your husband. My other husband. Yeah. Uh, Ken has been in Los Angeles for the last, what is it? Are we going on week four or week three? I, I don't Something like know. Something like that. Yeah, I'm, on, I'm on week tired. Yeah. he's He's there for the next two months working on a movie. So... We have been doing our intros and our interviews and stuff remotely. So, hi, husband. Oh, hi, I wife. hear some dogs. Dogs are waking up, too. <laughs> but that's the Rottenweiler out in the yard. We have a Aww. Rottenweiler and a Great Dane. Aww. And a Rocket. Aww. I think that's uh, Eve, I believe. Eve the Rottenweiler. Nice. Hi, everyone. I'm Ken Melvoin Berg. And I'm Sunny Megatron, and I haven't had my coffee yet, but hopefully, listeners, you have had your coffee yet again. And welcome now. to episode 59 of American Sex Podcast. This week's guest is sociologist of sexuality, Dr. Chantel. Dr. Chantel Tibbles is a sociologist specializing in gender, sexuality, work, and organizations, media and technology, and popular culture. Dr. Chantel's research has been published in numerous scholarly journals, and she has been quoted and cited extensively by cultural and news media outlets. She is currently the sex and social behavior expert for Motor Bunny. I love this conversation. It totally spoke to my geeky side. We 
touch on kind of so many disciplines that I love, like sociology, economics, ethics, politics, and my specialty that I majored in in college, marketing. So, you know, I'm in this industry, so are you, Ken. I have academic and formal business background. So a lot of the stuff that we talked about with Dr. Chantel, at least to us, was a given. But it's not stuff that's really well known or often thought about by the average person. So a few of the things that we touch on why before this researchers have shied away from studying sexuality and the adult industry, our social and cultural discomfort with sex and how it permeates everything, Stormy Daniels and how she's single-handedly extinguishing puritanical ideals about sex and sex work by refusing to be shamed, the cultural impact of technology on sex and sex work, how Visa and MasterCard are at the helm of deciding what our culture deems as too obscene, which ends up directly shaping our sexuality and sexual preferences. And just like the ASMR I was talking about in the beginning, it's going to make it where you can't access your ASMR just for relaxation purposes because they think it has to do with sex. Oh, and of course, in this conversation, we talk about robot sex because what's a conversation without robot sex? But yeah, that was totally full circle. Even in our fucking intro, I cannot believe that the payment processors are shutting down ASMR people. What do you, what do you want to bet that it's going to be coming down from YouTube, from other places yeah. like that? Oh, totally. I mean- and and for those listening, if you don't know what ASMR is, and I forget the, the technical, like what the acronym stands for, but it's when um, a lot of YouTubers do it and they, they whisper in their microphones like this and they like make different noises or, or crinkle, like make crinkly noises. And it's relaxing to a lot of people. A lot of people listen to it who have anxiety issues or depression or just need to feel more grounded or go to sleep. People find it super duper relaxing. Yes, there are a very small subsect of people that do it for sexual purposes, but most ASMR people, if you watch interviews with them, they're like, no, this isn't about sex at all. It's just about relaxation and stress relief. So the, the actual term for it is autonomous sensory meridian response. And it's sort of, um, gives you a euphoric experience um, that some people characterize with like a tingling sensation on the skin, like their, the hair, their, you know, their, their skin stands up and it starts in the scalp and kind of moves its way down the body. So it's definitely something that people do as more of a relaxation technique. And it's very interesting that it's especially helpful um, to people. I know that have had like skull surgeries, oddly enough, uh, so I know a friend of ours has it and she absolutely loves it because it really relaxes her in a way that nothing else can. And to isolate this and things like massage therapy, just assuming that every massage therapist is going to give you a happy ending. And there's nothing wrong with the people that do happy ending massages. But you can see, how, as Sonny mentioned, how, you know, first they came for the sex worker, then they came for the hypnotherapist. And now they're coming for the ASMR people, next thing you know, they're going to be coming for the massage therapist and then the Jews. They're coming for us again. I know it. <laughs> no, I was going to say, and then they're coming for you because anybody. I, I, which, I'm a Jew. That is me. I know you're a Jew. I know you're a Jew. But I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, yeah, no. But like, seriously, anybody who uses the Internet, any portion of the Internet or technology for anything sexual, your shit is at stake. Even if you're, you know, you've been married for 20 years, you're totally like, you know, 
as puritanical as you can be. You use the internet for any, maybe it's having uh, Skype sex with your wife because you're separated because your husband's working on a movie. They're going to get you. That's so. a that's a great idea. You should do that, Sonny. <laughs> oh, I, Sonny, I have, you know, I have something to tell you. I got you a very interesting present that is not exactly related to this podcast, but indirectly. So the last week, uh, we had been at one standard location, and uh, the place that we were filming uh, were these two great guys, J.D. and Keith, who also happened to be uh, Stormy Daniels' adopted dad. So I got you uh, Team Stormy t-shirts for you and for the kids. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So thank you to J.D. and Keith, by the way. I wanted to thank thank them. Thank you so much, even though I don't know you. And this is perfect because we talk about Stormy and her impact on society in this episode. Yeah. And in American fuckers, go buy her new book when it comes out because I think it's yeah, this week. So go buy wait. her book because it's going to yeah. be amazing how somebody in the adult industry is probably going to take down an American president. And God damn it, I hope she does. Fucking Stormy is goddamn brilliant. And motherfuckers on the right, you can't shame Stormy Daniels. Like, keep mm-hmm. trying because it's making her Twitter feed fucking hilarious. If you guys haven't re- re- like kept up with it, check out uh, Stormy Daniels' Twitter. Yeah, I'll put the link to her Twitter in the show notes, too. Do you enjoy listening to American Sex Podcast every week? If you'd like to support us and help us grow, there are a few things that you can do. First, you can become a Patreon member. Head on over to patreon.com slash American Sex. Members get all our episodes early, bonus content, stories from our guests, and a whole lot more. Plus, you really genuinely are helping us. The way that we monetize this podcast is through stuff like Patreon. That's what helps us get new equipment. It's what helps us pay the electric bill and feed our hungry children. Help Mm -hmm. us feed our kids. And there's another thing you can do that won't cost you a dime. Whatever podcast platform you listen to us on, just hit the subscribe button. That's it. Not only will you never miss an episode that way, it helps boost our ratings, which again helps us monetize our podcast. Oh, and by the way, if you'd like to leave us a review, whether that's on iTunes, Stitcher, even Facebook, go for it. We would love that as well. Thank you. Have you entered the American Sex Podcast September giveaway yet? It's fucking awesome if you haven't. Castle Megastore has provided us with a Jimmy Jane Love Pod tray valued at 149 American dollars. To enter, go to sonymegatron.com slash tray. That's T-R-E. And you also can get 20% off select barking dogs and items at castlemegastore.com when you use the code SUNNY. That's S-U-N-N-Y at checkout. All right, hold on to your hats, strap on your brains, strap on your strap-ons, maybe masturbate. I don't know, whatever you do. Oh, and and one last thing, look for weird news about murdering mariachi men in Mexico. I'm just saying, that's an awesome story from news this week. It is, but can they read a story and listen to the podcast at the same time? Because they're strapping on their brains and their strap-ons to get ready to listen to the podcast. It's like true. It's like ASMR, you know, they just totally get lost in our words and actually do the ASMR before the interview. But I'm done talking now, and so it's just time to play the interview, Ken. Okay, so here is Dr. Chantel. I'm really excited because on the line we have with us this week, Dr. Chantel Tibbles. Hello. Hi, how are you guys? 
Wonderful. Doing good. Yeah. Glad you're with us today. So I have a question for you. Yes. You and I have like, we've emailed, we've talked virtually. I don't know if we've ever in person talked. Is this a first? This is a first. I'm pretty sure. Very cool. Yes. Awesome. So, all right. Do I call you Dr. Chantel or do I just call you Chantel? You can just call me Chantel. Oh, thank you. <laughs> awesome. So you have fascinated me for years because Ooh. you are a sociologist that studies sexuality. And those are, you know, two subjects that absolutely enthrall me. And I very rarely hear them put together in an official capacity because you are very official. You are Dr. Chantel. So <laughs> how did you end up actually studying the sociology of sex and sexuality? Oh, it's such a long, convoluted story. So I'll give you guys the <laughs> um, abbreviated version. I okay. was working on a PhD at the University of Texas in the early 2000s, and I am a born and raised Los Angeles person, and I had already been kind of interested in the adult entertainment space when I was doing a master's degree because... Porn is situated in the valley. I was living in the valley. I grew up in the LA area, et cetera, et cetera. So I was already sort of like, hmm, this is happening around about where I'm at. But even at my very, very non-serious, nascent days of learning about sociology, I could read and see that the adult entertainment industry made people very uncomfortable. And I also when I went looking for answers, statistics, numbers, like, you know, wage rates, how many people are in the business, just basic demographics that we have about every other industry out there. I was sort of flabbergasted by the fact that we really knew nothing about it. So I had this combination of, of interests um, already. And then I moved out to Texas and I started working, like I said, on my PhD. And as soon as I started nosing around with advisors or with peers about, hey, I'm kind of interested in this, because I was getting my PhD in sociology, I was interested in gender and sex, and that really falls in line with thinking about adult entertainment and content production. Mm -hmm. And people, academics, people who are supposed to be studying and thinking and open-minded and all human experiences are part of the wider social human experience. So all of it is significant and important. That was not the way people responded <laughs> to just my initial little poke around questions. And that was basically all it took for me to go, I must figure out what it is about this area of our humanity that causes people so much discomfort and yet is so significant and so widely consumed. So that was like 2004, and now you can wow. fast forward to 2018, and I can fill you in or we can skip all that, but then my career and my interest, trajectory, what I study, it's one of those things where you uncover, you know, like when you're peeling linoleum up off a floor, and you're like, I'm just going to peel this little piece, and then you keep going, and all of a sudden you have this huge mess, and there's no flooring, and it's a giant, like, how did this happen? 
That's basically right. what's... Yeah, that's our kitchen. Yeah. <laughs> you, are, you are describing our kitchen. It's like you peel off one floor. It's like, wait, there's another floor underneath I'm... and there's a half another floor underneath. Right. What's going on? Or I yeah. feel... And then there's an onion with a layer, with a layer <laughs> yeah. and a layer. So it's basically turned into that. You know, you start... I mean, I literally started off um, just looking at labor rights for women working in the business. Really, you know, as performers and as like office workers and, you know, non-sex performers. But that's where I started, and every single thing I do leads to more questions, more work, more needs, more this, more that. So here I am. You know, this is absolutely fascinating, and I'm actually talking to you from a secret porn location in Los Angeles right now. I'm actually recording on a porn bed set right now. So it's a small world. We work a lot with people in the industry, um, you know, in every aspect of it with BDSM, with clinical psychologists and uh, sex workers and porn stars and a little bit of everything. So it's fascinating to me that like somebody like you had started off like all the way back then getting interested in it. And many, you know, and, and I, I think that there's a lot of interest now in 2018 that people are just now starting to look at the adult industry in an academic sense, because not a lot's been done. With well, it. there's so many reasons for that. I agree with you that there are more people sort of publicly, Oh, I'm interested in this and this and that, but we still don't know so many things. And it's a twofold reason. The first reason is that the industry in my view and experience, not my experience directly, because I feel that I've been very lucky and have been able to really learn a lot and have great contacts and connections with the adult entertainment industry such that I feel like I have a level of disclosure that people don't just hand out. The industry Mm -hmm. is very private, partly because it's so stigmatized, partly because people are in, you know, business competition, partly because people are, people within the adult entertainment industry are used to being almost, it's almost a given misrepresentation incomplete storytelling, um, slanted bias reporting, on and on and on. So it's a, it's a pretty hard space to really get into. It's very, very complicated. You can talk to somebody who's like, oh, I'm an expert, and they have no idea about these deep and significant behind-the-scenes things, like billing, like traffic sales, like the Control Visa and MasterCard have over what we actually see as adult entertainment, like distribution models. Mm -hmm. These are things that unless you really understand commerce, these are not even questions that people ask, which is fascinating to me. The other flip side to that too, which makes it difficult, is that for people who, myself included, who are interested in, for whatever reason, purely sociological, some sort of personal connection, Whatever it is, people who are interested in an academic manner of studying or, you know, disclosing some information, discovering some facts, um, getting together some statistics about adult entertainment, the stigma is so significant that whereas, you know, if you were studying dry cleaners or car salespeople or something like that, you would be able to find some funding, find a department that was comfortable with your work. You'd be able to find peers who were interested. You'd be able to have mentors who could advise you, questions to ask, connections, this, that, and the other. With the adult entertainment industry, and I mean all aspects of it, not just porn production, but everything from webcam to phone sex to this and that, there isn't that um, 
sort of free-flowing academic vibe going on. So you see people who are interested in the you know academic setting or in the ivory tower or in the university space, but they don't have the framework, be it institutional or you know just from support, like I was saying, to actually do the work. And when people do start doing the work, there is the inevitable questions that there has to be some quote-unquote reason like some sort of bad reason. And, and all of that stuff is maddeningly problematic and 100% prevalent and present still to this day. So part of the mm-hmm. reason why we see that is this twofold space of an industry that's like, whoa, stay away from me because they don't want to get burned again. And I mean, I'm oversimplifying here very significantly. But then also, you know, how we create facts and how we find information, you know, likes to keep porn at an arm's distance at the very, very closest. And that's why we end up with this bubble space that nobody really understands, but yet is so significant to our culture. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now you had said there are, you know, some things that we still don't know about the industry and, and, and some things that we have learned. And I'm sure largely in part to a lot of the work you've done, you've done scholarly articles and, you know, peer reviewed stuff and all sorts of stuff. So in the last few years with the research that's happened, what are some significant things that we've learned and maybe even things that debunk what the common person thinks? And what are some things that are still a mystery? I honestly don't know if we've learned anything in an academic, rigorous paper sort of way. I do think as a culture, we have shifted to taking sex work in general more seriously and taking the voices and experiences and just the shared facts that come from the industry more seriously. And so I think that's actually, it's really shifted the cultural conversation we're having about adult entertainment, at least on a superficial level. So there is still, there, we still have no labor statistics. We still have no, you know, STI incidents, rates, facts, anything. Like we have no idea. We don't know the size of the adult entertainment industry. We do not know the fiscal generate that when people say it's a $14 billion industry that is a completely invented and fabricated number. It is not true. It makes no sense. It could be higher. It could be lower. It's made up. It's a made up number. We, we don't know. That's the probably just mind geeks payroll. <laughs> it could be. It could be how many pirated videos they have like happening right now. Who knows? But, um, it's, we don't know any of these things and we still don't. Um, but again, the, the conversation about sex work, which includes adult entertainment that has shifted, but that has come from wider society, um, versus scholarship. Why do you think we continue to get it so wrong as a society? Because I, you know, I time and time again, I'll hear um, misnomers about what the porn industry is like or what porn performers are, are like, or they're, they're sleazy, they're stupid, they're this, they're that. It's not real work. How can we slowly start to get people to recalibrate or can we? Oh, gosh. I mean, in my view... The reason why we continue to have that response has to do with our wider social and cultural discomfort with sex, not Mm -hmm. just with sex, like body mechanics, that's part of it, but also with kinds of sex that we want, like as individuals, we are uncomfortable with that. And then Mm -hmm. the kinds of sex that other people have and are interested in that may have nothing to do with us. 
we as a culture from way, 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 way back, so deeply embedded to be overly anxious and yet uninformed about sex. There are heavy air quotes here, right and wrong ways for sex to happen. There, I mean, still in this country, we do not educate young people, much less people throughout the life course with medically accurate sex information. Um, we just don't do that. And we have this very significant and important piece of humanity that is social in so many different ways that we continue to fear monger about, manipulate over, and cause all of this anxiety because of, again, all of these meanings we have attached. So you take a culture that is made up of people who are told sex has particular meanings. It doesn't. We've created these meanings. There's no implicit mm-hmm. meaning to sex. We get told that. We... um we have so much gender power inequality. We have so many strange anxieties about um, capital exchange in general. And then when you add sex to part of that, so like commercial sex, there's that whole piece. We have so much tied into celebrity and fame. Very, very like contemporary issues we have with kind of fake fame and Instagram fame and constant broadcasting of lives and this, that, and the other. So you put all of these facts together and some of them, again, are more contemporary, but so much of it is so far back and so far reaching and so deep seated. You take all of that and you put in front of this super anxious group of people, us, porn. And that's, it's, it's like the perfect storm of we have all these problems, but let's go ahead and blame and talk about these people because look at this weird stuff that they're doing so publicly, so visibly. It's almost like a, a perfectly positioned scapegoat for all of our yeah. cultural sexual anxieties. Yeah. So I, I have noticed a trend, um, here in the United States, we have a huge issue with sexuality that I think that has something to do with white uh, Europeans that had come here bringing Puritan ethics yep. in every way, shape and form from how we are viewing work and college. We're supposed to work ourselves to death, working 40 hours a week. Kids are supposed to go to college. We have to like religion and hate sex. Those are all things that regardless of where your ancestors came from here in the United States, that Puritan ethic has been imposed on us. And I noticed something that sort of is throwing a monkey wrench into that, and that is Stormy Daniels. She can't be shamed. She can't utilize that, um, I, I, or rather she is utilizing, I think, the the tools to sort of diffuse that Puritan work ethic simply by not being shamed with all of the issues that went on with her and uh, Trump. Uh, what, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, it, it, yes, Stormy, the, the current situation we have now with Stormy Daniels is fantastic in the sense that people kind of, for somebody who wants to hate everything about the sex media space, but also wants to hate everything about the current administration, they, they can't. They can't do both because like, wait, this person is challenging this and this person is being effective and successful. And so you have this, it's almost like someone can't have their cake and eat it too kind of thing. And that's fantastic because 
you know, it, it's interesting to me that Stormy has always been basically doing the same stuff. She's not absolutely. She's she's has the the same personality, the same sassiness, the same. This is this is how this woman has been, probably for her whole life, but definitely, I mean, her public front facing persona has always been the same. Only now it's on such a um, hugely accessible, everybody's aware of it level that it, it's really really interesting because I think. She's not even necessarily doing anything that's calling attention to adult entertainment. You know, she's not like Snapchatting from a porn set or anything like that. But she's also not showing any indicators that she has anything other than very, very, very comfortable and humble, almost many ways, pride in her life and her work choices. She's not like shying away from her job. She's not you know, changing her. I mean, she's been a feature dancer. She was a, a dancer before she was a porn performer. She's been doing that throughout the course of her life. This whole tour that she's on now, although more busy, certainly is not anything different than what she's always done. And that in of itself, I think is very, very empowering for people simply because not because they necessarily want to be Stormy Daniels, but to be able to see somebody who literally doesn't give a shit about what you think about them, that she's going to continue mm-hmm. on doing exactly what she's always been doing. Whatever. That, I think it has so much, like so many multi-layered meanings and benefits to it that it's really interesting. Yeah. You know, you it, know- it, it just occurred to me that, oh, no, I'm sorry, Sonny, I didn't mean to overtalk you, but it, um, it just occurred to me that we don't really have a system of checks and balances with the, you know, the three rings of our government anymore because a lot of it is all controlled by one party. And with the Supreme Court going the way that it is, Stormy Daniels is now our system of checks and balances. Kind of. Yeah. And that's kind fascinating. Of, and like- <laughs> yeah. You know, I find it interesting how you touched on with Stormy that um, she is portraying sex work in a very empowered capacity, that there is no shame. And just looking at the way society is moving and then, you know, of course, she's made this huge mark. And now we look at like the access to producing content. Anyone can be a cam performer. Anyone can be, you know, a clip creator, that sort of thing. So do you see this move in sort of embracing sex work as as a society or as creators something that is very empowering something that is very feminist and positive it's that's a complicated question because like on on the most superficial level yes 100 Mm percent there are spaces and there have been spaces this is the thing that's really interesting clips for sale for instance has been around i think since 2004 and Clips for Sale is a Clips place where you can, you know, record whatever you want to record and upload it to the marketplace and promote it however much you want. And there it is. And all the Internet's there for you. Whatever. That's an example of a space that has been there for almost 15 years. So we've had this capacity. But what's interesting is, I think, how we regard content content coming from a clip space versus coming from a big studio we are mm-hmm. shifting with how we value that labor and that's something that's new and interesting even though something like a clip space that that technology and that platform has been there forever 10 years ago people were not like clamoring over to these websites to put their content there they would maybe do that 
in the hopes of moving into the conventional porn space. Now things are not as、um, unequal or unequally desirable. There are cam performers that are as famous or as well loved or as public. They have the, as as much of a social media significant following as your big. I mean. Take Stormy out of this equation, right? But as your next biggest porn star, right? Right. So there are people. There's that. There are people who have clips, like they make their clips content, and they create communities that are completely invested in the content that they create, and they're fascinated by it. So the playing field, so to speak, has leveled. A bit more, which is really interesting. You know, the technology is available. Anybody can shoot adult content with an iPhone or whatever right. smartphone, right? And but that's been the case for a while now. But what I think is different that's happening now is our acceptance of it. Kind of like、um, online dating has been around since the early two thousands, but it's only been like in the last ten years, let's just say eight years, that it became something that people were like. Oh, I'm doing this versus oh, secret. Like I'm. I mean, I can remember so many years ago.、Um, a girlfriend of mine was like, "Oh, I have a confession to make. I signed up for a dating site," and I was like, "Oh, that's really weird." Like, I mean, I didn't have that response. I was like, "Whoa!" I mean, this was like two years. This was probably 2002 or three, though, and it's completely shifted in terms of normalization. So I think. With content consumption, that has has kind of we've come around to that too. You know, it's different ways of creating and consuming content is now the norm, and that's awesome、right. because, again, like there's been spaces to do that all along. No holds barred. You want to put your content on clips for sale, you can do it. There was never a like a only this type of person can be here type of thing. But now、right. we're starting to know about those sites, and and it's becoming more normalized to access them and all of that. And I don't mean in you know within adult content consumers as a as a almost like a fan base or something like that. I mean within your average person at the bank or at the laundromat or something. You know, like whoever that person is who's not necessarily. A quote-unquote adult content consumer, people still know that there are other ways to get porn besides conventional porn, and that's what I mean. It's working its way out into the lexicon and the common culture. That's different. At the same、right. time, and I hate to be all gloom and doom. This is part of why it's a complicated question. At the same time, and, and there's so much positivity on the internet, and so much, you know, everything looks great. And you're like, oh, we're in the the age of Aquarius porn, right? You hear that song playing, and everything, it's great. <laughs> But that is not the case with the structural systems that sort of like the the rack space of our society. And here I'm talking about. Banking. I'm talking about payment processing. I'm talking about Visa, Mastercard. I'm talking about all of that stuff. Those things are. There was a point in time when PayPal, for instance, was like, "We will never discriminate against adult entertainment or adult content or adult businesses." You know, we'll all PayPal will be for everybody. And now, it's not right. And you can lose、yeah. your entire. It, it, it terrifies me when I hear people, especially people who are just. Immediately getting into the business,、um, that they are using PayPal or even Venmo because people don't realize. Guess who owns Venmo? 
PayPal. Yeah, PayPal does. Yeah. Right. I know for me, even us as sexuality educators, you know, we're considered adult content, even though we don't do nudity or and we're educational. But it's we're terrified all the time. We just like our Patreon, we've been, you know, going ups and downs with Patreon, just got a new letter like, Oh, we've changed your payment processor because you're adult and you're probably gonna lose a bunch of Patreons because we have to process through the UK because I mean I I don't think and yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, and your fees are going to be higher, and that's because yeah. they're charging because they themselves have to, like, they incur those costs because the bank. I mean, there's many, many, many wonderful um, adult industry-specific payment processors, great people who will have the biggest accounts and the smallest accounts. A single model can go to any number of adult specific payment processors. And then the response Mm -hmm. always is like, why are you charging me this high fee? And the reason why they're charging you this high fee is not because they're assholes. It's because the banks are charging them that high fee in order to keep their merchant accounts open in order to be able to do business themselves. They're not taking that extra, you know, 12 cents they're charging you and like putting in their pockets to be jerks. They're handing it over to the bank because the bank is charging them. And that that kind of thing that we don't understand within the adult industry and the wider society is not even remotely aware of that sort of thing. That is really significant because it shows even for y'all, like there is no like content exchange that is graphic, hardcore, explicit in any way, shape or form. And yet spoken words are still enough to be considered mm-hmm. high risk. That is bananas. Another thing that you see that's fascinating, just as another example, is this blows my mind, but email marketing is still a huge deal. Email lists, you see people, performers who have 500,000 lists on their, their lists are, you know, that whole thing. I'm like, people still do this? This is wild to me. I received a message Within the last six weeks from a major adult entertainment company, a listserv that I had 100% signed up for, you know, I didn't mind that I was on their listserv. They were using MailChimp yeah, to send this out. And I actually contacted them back. I'm like, I see that you guys are using MailChimp for this. Please stop doing this. You are going to lose all of your, unless you have it backed up, which I hope you do. They will one day realize what you are doing, which is sending out, a, you know, an announcement for a new piece of content and a box cover that has a topless lady on it. Oh, God, nudity. And they're going to turn your account off. And that's it. And yeah. and you have no recourse because you are violating their terms of service. It says it right there. There are, mm-hmm. again, plenty of adult entertainment specific services that do that. But the idea that even people within the business don't realize how quickly they can be legally discriminated against, it's hugely problematic, but that is the facts as they currently exist, and you have no recourse. And so when we're thinking about this idea of society liberalizing or, you know, maybe sex work in whatever capacity, because obviously there are myriad occupations, but sex work as a whole becoming, you know, maybe something that people look at more seriously and more viable. Certainly that's happening. And I mean, obviously that's, you know, the space has been around since the dawn of time. Oh, we're finally catching up. Fine. But the fact remains is that all of the, the, social institutions that we sit upon because our society is, you know, it sits upon all of these things of banking and processing and this, that, and the other. 
all of that stuff is not on board with, yeah. with this wider trend. And that's the thing that's very significant. Yeah, it's like it's like sociologically, you know, society is is like okay, cool, we're 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 getting this, and then they're shutting down the infrastructure that it sits upon. Yeah, or if they're not even and, shutting it down; it's just not changing. It's just sitting there, yeah. the same as it's always been. That's I, I don't you know, and in many ways, it's almost becoming more prohibitive because if you think about how important stuff like social media is, and you know, people can run their entire businesses you know, on that and, you know, using those tools. And then when you think about how those tools can just randomly be taken away and mm-hmm. then it's like, you know, as, as using those spaces is so normalized for consumers, then when you're removed from that platform, it's like, well, Hey, come over here to this, maybe sex work specific platform. But the consumer is like, well, I don't want to put another app on my phone or I want to be on Instagram right. where everybody else is, you know, like I exactly. totally want to see you, but I'm not going to get that other thing to just see you. Like, why can't you be here with the rest of my friends? It's really, mm-hmm. it's really distressing. I think it was Missy Martinez. I mean, it happens to people all the time, but the one that sticks out to me, she recently, you know, in the last couple of months, she had 850,000 Instagram followers. And I mean, that it's a highly developed an important part of her brand and she wasn't violating any terms of service that she could remember. And just one day goes to open up her Instagram gone. Wow. Yeah. Unreal. You know, there's actually an interesting trend lately of, and it's like you mentioned, uh, getting a, a few different sorts of apps and different ways to communicate. And now people are having to use encrypted emails and that sort of thing like uh proton mail yes. and Twitter for for sex worker twitter right Twitter is actually um it, very useful to people who want to get a hold of sex workers and for sex workers to communicate with each other and i thought that it was going to be a flash in the pan but it's actually gaining some steam yes yeah and um, that's it that, but even that that app has its own people debate okay so Everybody who's on Twitter wants to be interacting with something sex work related. That's awesome. But then you think, okay, we have this bubble of people who are already aware. But what about all of the other people out there in the world who right. maybe don't have access or don't know or, or any of that stuff? So, so there's great things about sex work specific spaces, but then there's also limitations to it. And and obviously there's no perfect solution for anything, of course, because we don't live in a place or in a world where things are perfect. But it's even it's even that idea there that you can definitely find a space and you and it sounds great. You're like, oh hey, if anybody's on here, that means they are by proxy interested in what I have to offer. Awesome. Right. And you're not just like cold calling somebody type of thing or like randomly hitting somebody up on another social media app or, or however one would interact. But at the same time, it's almost like you're dealing with sort of a closed community. And so how do you create new business? Do you get new clients? Do you get new people to buy different things, et cetera, et cetera. And I mean, it sounds funny, like new business, new clients, but that's what sex work is. And that's the thing that's you know, it ties back into what I was talking about earlier with our discomfort with sex is that for wider society, the idea that this, these genital motions that we engage in, in some capacity that for some people they might mean love and feelings and yay. 
And then the same motions the next day could be work related. Your average human doesn't have that experience because your average human is not a sex worker, right? So, right. you know, you take that and it's, it's so confounding to people that, you know, it becomes when you talk about stuff like new business, getting new clients, you know, finding new ways or new ideas about new projects, stuff like that. Even that line of conversation causes people to turn off because they're like, Oh, you're talking about my beloved and significant sex behavior. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hey, psst, did you know American Sex Podcast has a Patreon page? Becoming a Patreon member is a great way to show your support for this podcast. It works kind of like, I don't know, funding for national public radio or how PBS works. If you appreciate our work and the fact that we provide it to the world free of charge, then you can help support it. And as a member of our Patreon family, you'll be eligible for nifty, cool rewards like bonus episodes, surprises in the mail, and more. Oh, and you'll get all of our episodes early, bonus stories from guests, and access to our private Patreon feed. So you thinking about it? You want to know more? Check out all the details at patreon.com slash American Sex. P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash American Sex. Castle Megastore. Once you see their sex toys, you'll want more. I have no idea if Castle Megastore actually has a theme song, but I really dig Castle Megastore. So that's my gift to you, Castle, your very own theme song. And you listeners get a gift, too. If you go to CastleMegastore.com and use discount code SUNNY, that's S-U-N-N-Y, when you check out, you will receive 20% off your order. That's amazing. Castle mega store when you get your sex toys you'll be on the floor because you'll be using them so much and they'll be so awesome and you'll save so much money you'll get more than one and then you'll climax for a really long time and you'll just be passed out and you'll be like oh my god give me water that was the best orgasm ever now i want to go back a little bit and talk about technology now when we were talking about cam performers and how the landscape has really changed, I started thinking to myself, like, yeah, you know, these people who are consumers of, you know, cam performers or or clips or whatever, they have a more, almost a personal relationship with these performers that we haven't seen before, you know, when people are consuming porn, which in one way, I'm like, that's great, because you're seeing them more as as multifaceted, multidimensional people as opposed to just solely one-dimensional sex objects. However, I'm like, how is that interplay of technology changing us in a bigger way, like changing the way we romance, the way we sex, the way we date? Is it making a huge societal shift for us as much as I'm thinking it is? I think it is. And it's it's interesting because it's a synergistic shift. You know, it's not like someone was like, oh, here's the iPhone. And then all of a sudden we're like, let's start sexting. You know, it, it's, it's been something that was happening over time. And it has to do with a lot of other shifts that are sort of all running parallel 
and in concert happening. So, you know, as you see more gig economy, more working from home, more temporary employment, for instance, um, mm-hmm. that causes people to lose those occupational connections. That's a social connection for many people. As people, you know, as cost of living goes up or the economy is not good and people are spending more time laboring and less time socializing, you know, that shifts us into more isolated positions. As technology comes in and you go, hmm, I don't have to call somebody anymore, but I have this little impulse to send this little message. Oh, I can do that now. And so all of these, and there's so many other examples, obviously, but all of these pieces are coming together and then they become normalized and you get to a place where technology used to seem like not real. And I'm saying that in air quotes, but you guys can't see me because we're, <laughs> we're not next to each other. But anybody out there listening... Because we're using technology using and it technology. doesn't seem real. Ah, is this meta? I don't know. Okay. <laughs> so meta. Oh my God. We're analyzing ourselves as we're doing something. But it's it, there used to be a time where... Not in that, not that distance of the past where, oh, if you really wanted to meet somebody, you had to go out in the world. Oh, if you had a friend that you only talked to, you know, via text or by instant messenger and some, you know, whatever app you're using, that that wasn't quote unquote real. And that's starting, if not fully, to have gone away. So now people can have interactions and have on relationships that are probably more stable and more authentic than the ones when you're face to face. Now, obviously that varies and this and that, but we're shifting away from that. And so then now what we're seeing is a, and I mean, this isn't new necessarily, but we're seeing this new sort of marketing shift and push of technology pieces that are being integrated into this new type of real relationship so you can then physically or have some kind of physical experience, excuse me, via technology. And that stuff is becoming more and more and more savvy and tricky and well done and also normalized. Yeah, for years, years upon years, you know, the industry was talking about, you know, there's this new thing like teledildonics. You're going to be able to, you know, fuck anyone around the world. And over the years, we've tried a few things and we're like, meh. Yeah, way mad. Very underwhelmed by the technology of teledildonics. I'm just starting to see there are some devices and toys and things that are kind of really seeming to work uh, long distance. So do you think that's something that we're going to see more and more of is like, if we finally hit like real teledildonic age where we're actually having like space age across the world sex? I mean, maybe it it also depends. People keep pushing the envelope a little bit. So it's like, before, you know, maybe two years ago, the hot thing was like, hey, I can control your sex toy. Like, I'm on one end of the Skype kind of deal, right. and I'm going to touch my app and whatever. Now, there are ones where you have one piece, and your partner has another piece, and you can manipulate them such that the teledildonic is, the, it's like a feel-to-feel kind of thing. Right. And cam performers, I mean, many of the main cam platforms have integrated this technology so cam models can interact with their clients in this manner. If the client has the toy, they get access to the thing and blah, 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 blah. And 
that so the the question of have we gotten to the point where they're sort of flawless or is it real or can you use it? Yes and no. Some of them have improved, but while those, you know, the ones that have been around a while maybe have improved, then there's the next generation that they might still be a bit spotty because they're newly yeah. developed. The other thing about them though, that's the most, I, I think, really interesting is, you know, good old video chat, good old Skype. And you have, you, just the display of sex is oftentimes the most interesting or the least complicated and yet somehow super titillating way for people to connect. So you get, you know, you can have the most subtle or sedate sex toy or the most elaborate, you know, ride along motor bunny type of the item where then you will mm-hmm. see people having us, I hate to like, I keep saying Skype because Skype is like band-aids or like Coke. Where, well, it's <laughs> funny because you keep saying Skype and I'm like, well, yeah, now after Sesta Fosta and they came down, like you better not be using Skype for sex or we'll shut you down. So well, we're not condoning that, but everybody does it. So go ahead. Well, even, but I mean, <laughs> that's so funny too, because you're like Skype sessions, but even for couples who are like, I'm going to be in California for two months and right. you're going to be been, in Chicago. <laughs> and we got married in a church 15 years ago and did everything all Puritan and proper. They still get penalized. Oh, man. We can't win. No, we can't win at all. Not. But yeah. there's still even that. I, I mean, you could do Skype like Band-Aid. It's my way of saying video chat, people. <laughs> exactly. Yes. <laughs> you can be using whatever video chat thing. And the idea of even just the like sex display, that for many, many, many people is so intimate. You're still using toys. You're still using technology. Maybe you're going into the teledildonic thing, or maybe that's enough. But the fact right. that we're having these conversations and people are like doing this kind of dating or doing this kind of intimacy building in whatever capacity, I mean, that's amazing. So we may be shifting in many ways to isolation and that's largely because of shifts in the wider world, including technological developments. And that stuff is hard and tricky and complicated and it causes a lot of distress for people. But at yeah. the same time, those same tools also bring a lot of other people a lot of joy and connection. So you can't, not that anybody was suggesting we do this, but you can't write off technology or new ways of doing things as, you know, oh, terrible, we're all going to be having sex with robots and nobody's going to talk to any other human ever again. That's not going to happen. But at the same time, technology is not 100% flowers and sunrises for everybody or sunsets. Right. I guess it depends on what time of day. I actually have a question for you. And you, you just read yeah. my mind because there are currently we, – we, we did an interview with a guy named Dave Cat who has a relationship with a real-life doll – uh, actually, three real-life dolls. One's his wife, one is his mistress, one is his mistress's girlfriend. And they just opened up, I believe in Japan, a brothel where you can go – uh, pay to have sex with a doll. Do you think there is, uh, and I'm interested in your opinion on this as a sociologist. Like, what do I think about the, the, just the overall like tendency? The do, you, do you really think that it's not going to increase? 
Oh, I, it's not, it's not that I don't think it's going to increase. It's that it's not going, I don't think it's going to turn into all of us doing that. For some people, there, I mean, we have to keep in mind every person is at even a tiny little bit different level than everybody else. We've all had different experiences. We all have had different joys and traumas. We all have different tools that we're working with. And for some people, that way of manifesting their sexuality is the most effective. And that does not, I read this article about, it was somebody who was writing about a sex doll brothel and people were talking about how people can pay however many dollars to go in there and and do whatever they wanted to the sex doll. And the writer was, it was really kind of inflammatory language talking about, you know, whatever you want to the sex doll, like assault the sex doll, do this, that to the sex doll. Was it the article saying like, it's going to teach people then they can rape a human women because they're encouraging them to rape sex dolls. Was that the article? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And the idea, it's like, if you start to get into these very, very, very tricky spaces for a very, very small amount of people, still significant because all people are significant, but you go, can you assault a doll? No, it's a doll, right? It is a doll. She is not a doll. He is not a doll. It is an inanimate object. At the same time, do people who maybe have wider issues you know, go to the doll looking to somehow channel energies. I'm certain there's at least one person like that out there, right? You cannot say that that kind of stuff doesn't happen because it must. I mean, the, the, the possibilities for all human behavior is there. But the idea that every single person in the world will shift from having social interactions and intimate lives with other humans to having a doll wife, a doll mistress, and the mistress's girlfriend. Wife yeah. As their <laughs> girlfriend. Okay, excuse me. I'm sorry. I didn't know. <laughs> See, I totally fucked it up. I didn't know they weren't married. I'm sorry. <laughs> that, that to, to be alarmist about that is also short-sighted yeah, in my view. I agree. Yeah. I mean, this is like being concerned about Sonny being emotionally abusive to our Alexa, which you are, by the way, Sonny. I am. Totally, yes. Alexa, but you can't no. be because Alexa <laughs> is not okay. a human. <laughs> exactly. But, and I but, get my aggressions out. It's great. But at the same time, you also can, I mean, the idea that Alexa has a name and a voice and interacts at the same time humans are human and they're going to learn all kinds of different things and have different experiences. And five years ago, there was no Alexa to interact with you. So we are not as, as humans, we don't really know what this is doing to us right now. I mean, are you going to leave Ken and run off with Alexa? I don't know. (laughs) We don't know. Only if it was put into like the, into a love doll's body, maybe then. Million dollar no, idea no, right there, it, by the way. You know, Alexa with a real know. life doll. <laughs> Bam. But the, but um, the, the idea of what those interactions, to say that those inter- interactions have no impact, that's not true. But to say that when you're, you know, damn it, Alexa, I, I ordered graph paper. Why didn't you send it? You're not abusing a human when you're right. pissed off at Alexa. You're not. 
Well, it's interesting. This conversation reminds me so much of like, you know, a lot of my teachings I teach about just bringing sex toys into the bedroom, a simple vibrator or, or whatnot. And so many people, and oftentimes it's hetero cis men, yes. very much have the attitude. And this is, you know, a societal cultural thing that like that vibrator is going to replace not only your penis, but replace you. Like your girlfriend is now going to, you know, kick you out and cuddle up next to that, you know, rabbit vibrator. So it's kind of an an extension of that sort of thinking. It absolutely is. And it's absolutely connected to the thing that we were talking about before, which is the limited understanding and all of the emotional distress we have about sex in general. Oh my God, we just came full circle. Yes. But <gasps> <So. laughs> like that, I mean, people, so. have, people have talked about that forever, forever and ever and ever. That's been this anxiety that men, and it's not a few men. It's many men have this vibrator is going to replace me. Right. Like, and I'll, I'll sit there and I'll talk to men and I'll be like, really think about it. Is she really going to kick you out and have morning coffee sitting next to her vibrator, like having a conversation? No. Are they going to go pick out new kitchen cabinets together? No. <laughs> you know, and when you think logically about it, it's ridiculous. It absolutely. But it's something that's, it's so Yeah, until Lalo can is. make something it that is. takes out the garbage and kills bugs, I don't think I have anything to worry about. See, you know that your job is secure, right? <laughs> but that's but that's the thing that's so interesting because then think about this is what kind of human, human, like fully fleshed out, grown ass human is going, these are the things I have to offer. Vibrating penis shape. Like that's right. it. Is that the extent of you? No. But then for somebody to have that anxiety over themselves is really distressing. And that then ties into all other things related to masculinity, toxic masculinity, hegemony, all of these different things and pressures that I'm sure many men don't even realize that they are getting programmed with and norms right. that they themselves, even if they don't rationally or logically feel compelled to abide by still somewhere deep inside like the most lizard part of our brains is this distress about sex because we don't talk about it we don't go you are both a hundred percent sexual but also not only sexual we don't much less accuracy i would love to see a study on incels and uh the incident rate of white hetero cis men that are threatened by vibrators because I bet there's a huge overlap between those two things. Oh my gosh. Certainly. Oh, yeah. Can you imagine if somebody should work that into a questionnaire where you're like, Hey, we're doing this study talking to incel type <laughs> dudes. Are you a self-identified incel? Awesome. Will you fill out this questionnaire so we can get some demographics and it's like, age. Are you on 4chan? Yes, no. Status. <laughs> threatened by vibrators. Are you afraid of vibrators? <laughs> Chances are it would be a very high percentage of yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it all boils down to, you know, because I'm just thinking about, you know, if someone views themselves as all, what I'm good for is a penis or my sex, which is really ridiculous. 
a lot of that thinking comes from the same, I don't know, thought bubble as the people I'm looking at to fuck are also objects yes. and not multidimensional people. And, you know, you're a warm, wet hole with a pretty face kind of thing. Yep. Absolutely. Which, how do we, how do we stop that? How do we stop that? It's a big question. It's a big question. I honestly think. Because there's no way to just stop it tomorrow. And there's no way right. to solve it. There's no one single thing that's going to solve all of it. But the longer I do this work, the more conversations I have, the more people I meet and things that I see happening, the more that I feel like I know that the most impactful way we can unpack and undo and redo and improve that whole thing is through sex education and not, not just sex education for young people and not just sex education in one way, sex education that is appropriate throughout the life course because people's like people change as they age, sex stuff changes as you move through your life course. But then also in a kind of like multi-platform or multi-tonal where it, it, you still have the same information, but you're almost putting it in different vectors that connects with people in different ways. You know, some people need their food to be salty. Some people need their food to be sweet. You can put sex education in salty and sweet ways and then it'll, it'll connect with somebody because that's the most, you know, I was a college professor for God so long, over 10 years. And one of the things that was always so interesting to me was, you know, I have the same information, same course that I'm teaching semester after semester. But for some students, my way of teaching would work really well, just the way I felt comfortable doing it. And for other students, I'd have to find newer, trickier, or just different ways to get them to connect with the information. And, you know, everybody hears messages differently and internalizes things differently and even uptakes information differently. So we have to think about that because it's not enough just to educate. We have to educate effectively. And I mean, I really, if you were to take one of those incel dudes and go back to like age six and be like, you're not allowed to hit this little girl in your class. She's not here for you to pick on. If somebody would have right. just said that, I mean, that's kind and of And we're like, not going to say, oh, he must like her if he's hitting her. That oh, means you have boys, a crush on her. Bullshit. Yeah. If we would Ugh. stop doing stuff like that, because that's not overt sex education, but it is genderizing and it is, you know, impacting and programming young people to think boys are doing this and girls are doing this. And then we start in with the boys on this side of the room, girls on this side of the room. And again, for as much progress and as much liberalizing and as much opening as we seem to be doing on the internet and on television, the world is still there bubbling right below the surface. And it, it doesn't, it hasn't shifted as much as the internet would like us to believe, I guess. You know what gives me hope though? I recently heard that Hooters is in financial trouble. It is. Because millennials, they're just not into it. They're just not into like going in and objectifying someone for their boobs. Yes. And I'm like, okay, th- yeah, they're just not in. They're yes. like, I don't get it. Like, I yeah. would still go to Hooters for I their wings so, though. And I'm being honest. The, the wings, wings are, are delicious. delicious. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but they're, 
they're just uh, they just don't get the shtick they're like i don't know why we're here oogling someone's boobs like, right it and that's that again goes back you know if we're if what we're trying to do is deliver delicious chicken wings maybe previously the vector of hooters worked and now we need a different one i don't know because you can still people still might like the food but that shows evolution and change over a culture's life course and that's super significant and i i mean i don't mean to be like hooters you're going out of business Yeah, because they do have good wings and you know i hate to see anyone fail but it's a it's a it's a positive step that society is like Hey, you know, maybe it's not like the coolest thing to be like, let's go, let's go look at some boobs and, you know, try to pinch the waitress's ass when she turns around. (laughs) You know, maybe they could just switch to super high end Wi-Fi and chargers for cell phones, because I think that would actually be a better like bait at this point than they might need to change up their business model. Can you imagine if they just had a person walking around like here's a pitcher of beer, here's some wings and here's one of those charging things. I'll be back in 30 minutes. See if you need anything. No, I won't talk to you. That's it. All right. Their business I'll, will I'll probably be I know. I'm, ser- I'm being serious. About it. Millennials will be lining up. Leave me alone. Let me charge my thing. Give me high-end Wi-Fi. Awesome. Yes. Yeah. I like that. I like and that. I, well, this has been... Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, and then all us old fogies, we'd be sitting around being, kids, you guys got to talk to each other. These are not real interactions. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's funny when you were saying that, though, because so many people say that, like, you're always in your phone. You're always on social media. Get out and meet people. And I'm like, I'm sorry. When I lived before the internet, when I got out and meet, met people, my life wasn't great. I didn't have a lot of friends. I stumbled with social interaction right. and since the internet and technology, my life has gotten so much better. My interpersonal relationships with people have gotten so much better. I wouldn't have the relationships I do today. I wouldn't have the friends I do today. I wouldn't have the business connections I do today. And I that's all technology. So don't tell me to get my nose out of my phone. I mean, exactly. granted, I'm not going to be rude about it. But <laughs> you know, sweetheart, you know, I love I do, you. I don't I think there's much, but I'm still what? going to fear our robot overlords. I'm not going to go to the grocery store and do the self checkout. I'm not going to do the ATM. I'm going to talk to a real person. <laughs> Sonetta Bank. He hates I fucking it. hate the robot overlords. But Cyborgs are evil. But that's a balance. That's the whole thing. You know, you got to find, you don't have to do anything, first of all, but finding a way to balance those things in a way that is effective and healthy, whatever healthy means for you, the individual, that's all you got to do. I mean, it, really and truly. Well, this has been, this has been awesome. I have a, a whole, like, I, I'm kind of having a mind blown moment. Like all my little synapses are lit up like, Oh my God, this is how it's all interconnected. Even though I know this because it's my job. It's like, I just had a renewed, I don't know, inspiration of looking at it a little bit through your lens, which is kind of cool. I like looking through other people's lenses. So thank you so much. You are quite welcome. So tell me and all the listeners, I know you have your your book, Exposure, a Sociologist Explores Sex Society and Adult Entertainment. So they need to go find that. And what else do you have going on? Where else can people find you? And for those listening, if you missed this, don't worry, it'll all be in the show notes. But tell us, Dr. Chantal. Well, if people are interested in talking to me or interacting with me in any way, shape or form, I love Twitter, even though I know Twitter is very fraught. And I'm on Twitter at Dr. Chantal, but not Dr spelled out dr chantel and then i do because this is going to sound however it sounds um i get requested 
to um, weigh in with the media quite a bit. And I have this fun practice of uh, publishing my interactions with all writers and reporters because I Ooh. feel, yeah, I, I feel that this is just my own way to sort of um, support journalism as it exists today, but also push back in a tiny way. I know I used to be um, very uh, active in the freelance writing world and it, the, the turnaround and the quickness with which we are expected to both process information and also report on information. It's sometimes it leaves a bit to be desired, um, in terms of facts and context and stuff like that. So whenever I'm asked to comment on something, I always do because I try to do my part as a, a public scholar. But I always publish my interactions on uh, my website, which is chantaltibbles.com. So I always like to share, you know, the full questions I was asked and my full responses with people. Just, you know, and sometimes it's like, hey, this was totally taken out of context. But other times there's a lot of conversation that happens and, you know, writers don't get to share everything. So I put a lot of that out there for people to read um, just to kind of get a fuller picture of you know, my perspective on a lot of topics that impact us. Today. You know, and all thank you so much for doing that, because with all of the backlash against the media, I'm, I'm certain it's just going to be a matter of time before a Trump supporter actually murders a member of the press and to humanize them in every aspect in the good, the bad and the ugly. Like we need to see the media as human beings and not just as Certainly. the enemy of Donald J. Trump. <laughs> no, definitely. It's, I mean, the pressure on writers and reporters, young people starting out and even, you know, super seasoned veterans that are doing amazing work. Um, you know, a couple of names come to mind, but just like the, the pressure on writers today to churn out content for it to be correct, accurate, um, say something new, say something insightful. It's truly a challenging place for people. I, I definitely and for less to. and less money. Oh, yeah, that's yeah, like you know, when are we going to pay you an exposure? You know, like, exactly. You're Just, right. So think thing. of how many people are going to see this. <laughs> oh, that's great. Like, to be like, Fuck that. This exposure that doesn't pay my. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah no. The there bills. is a there is a site that I wrote a a. a I will not tell you what it is, but it won't be that hard to figure out. But I wrote for this site for a year, a monthly column for free. And when I finally was done with my year, I was like, you guys got to start paying me for this. Like, there's so many comments on this stuff, this and that, you know, you let it slip how much traffic each one of these little posts is getting. It, it, it's time. So my poor editor came back to me a week later with like, okay, you know, this is, this is what they're willing to offer. Uh, $20. <laughs> <gasps> no. God, so yeah. Screw that. It's yeah. so, it's so mind boggling. And it's just like, and the poor editor is like, that's what I'm sorry. I didn't come up with this. So the idea too, that people are doing this work of varying, you know, quality, but they're still doing this work for, so little, the vast majority of people. I mean, literally, this is not, you know, a, a living wage in no way, shape, or form is mind boggling. So it's, wow. it's crazy. Yeah. yeah. But so if they don't start at 50 cents a word, question. 
Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. I was going to say, long answer to your question, those are the two places that I'm uh, generally present on the internet. And I you know, do lots of other work as well. But those are the easiest places to find me. Awesome. Very cool. Well, thank you so much for this conversation. Uh, very much enjoyed it. Listeners, go to our show notes at americansexpodcast.com and uh, find out more about Dr. Chantel and any pertinent links from any place in this episode will all be there. And uh, thank you thank so you much. So Dr. much. Thank you, guys. Thank you so much. Alrighty, bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to American Sex. To keep up with Ken and I, we'll first make sure you watch our TV show, Sex with Sunny Megatron, on Showtime. Then visit SunnyMegatron.com. There you can learn more about us, read our blog, peruse our workshop calendar, or hire us. For what? Well, either for private coaching, or to book us to teach at your event or university, or as sex and relationship writers for your publication. Oh, and don't forget, we're on social media, too. I'm the super social one, so you can find me as Sunny Megatron on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, my YouTube channel, and a bunch of other places. But if you want to get me on Snapchat, you got to look for Sunny underscore Megatron, and you can follow Ken on Twitter at at tag PsyChicken. That's P-S-Y-C-H-I-C-K-E-N. Also, please support us by shopping with the affiliates and sponsors from our breaks. And if you contribute to our Patreon, we're going to love you forever. Well, we're going to love you forever anyway, but just go with it. Lastly, if you like this broadcast, tell people about it. Tweet it, Facebook status it, and rate it on iTunes and other platforms. Thanks, friends. We'll see you next week on American Sex.